Hello, and welcome to the Morning Bell podcast, where we interview authors, discuss writing-related topics, and talk about the writing process as a whole. If you want any more information about the Morning Bell and what it is, look up themorningbell.net. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics that you'd like to see discussed, email the co-editor of the Morning Bell, Kezia Lebanski, at the email address kezia at themorningbell.net. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, as usual. And Luke didn't go off on any one of his many holidays this time. He actually <laughs> stuck around for a bit. Luke. Many holidays. I've been here for most of the podcast. That, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm giving you a hard time. How was your week? Toasty. I, I would... I'm I'm in a good mood, so I'll just say it was a bit warmer than it should be for a bit too long. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it's it's nice. Yeah, we complain a lot about the weather. I just realized if you go back through my podcast, it's literally <laughs> me going, "Oh, it's too hot! It's too hot again!" <laughs> Even in winter. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was a warm winter, but everybody else says it's like the coldest winter in 25 years or something. It was pretty cold. It just it lasted longer than we thought it would. So then we just imagined that it would just keep going. <laughs> and then it actually didn't, so it's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. But yeah, other than warmth, it's a pretty good week. Mm-hmm. Any writing done? Uh, not really. Not really. No. <laughs> kind of a lax week. Lax week. Well, we're applying for universities and stuff, so that's yeah, yeah. That's looking for some courses while doing work. It's a lot of stuff. Well, as usual, we also have a guest for today. Um, today's guest is Katie Found. Katie Found is a Melbourne-based freelance writer and director. Her writing has featured in The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, Huffington Post, Dumbo Feather, Kill Your Darlings, Concrete Playground, Writer's Block, and various other publications. Katie's latest short film, The Widow, starring Tony Llewellyn-Jones and Maggie Dents, and produced by Katerina Mandic, was funded by Screen New South Wales and developed through Metro Screen's First Breaks program in 2014. It was recently awarded Best Film at Cause Film Festival, as well as the best cinematography and most creative. All winnings were donated to Caras Australia. It is also in official competition at the upcoming BOFA Film Festival. Katie is currently part of the Writers Ensemble at the Owl and Cat Theatre. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. How was your week? My week was pretty dreamy. Dreamy? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's been really nice. I've been working. Mm Mm-hmm. And enjoying the warm weather. <laughs> it's been really nice. Fantastic. Mm. So, when you say writing, what kind of writing? When did I say writing? You said writing. You said, said working. Oh. No, I Now I been... just translate anything somebody <laughs> says like writing. It just goes straight through. <laughs> That's okay. I haven't been doing much writing lately. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I've been writing... No, that's a lie. I've been writing in my head, and then I do this really annoying thing where I wake up in the middle of the night and get out of bed Mm. and wake everyone up and write a sentence (laughs) down and think, oh, thank goodness, that's out of my head. (laughs) And then I go back to bed, and then five minutes later, ooh, another Another sentence. Another idea, yep. And then I get up, and it rinse and repeat, Mm -hmm. and then everyone's exhausted in the morning. You know, it's really strange. Dreamy week comes from. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, that's really interesting that I say dreamy because I've been having really vivid dreams and nightmares. 
Ooh. this week. That's so good that's material. Been, yeah, it has been good material. That leads um, to a question: Do you use a lot of dream material in your in your writing and your uh, theatre? Yes. Hmm. Eighty to ninety percent of my material comes from dreams, mm-hmm. and that sounds really lame. Well, I mean, it sounds uh, surrealist yeah. for the most part. So. I think it sounds really cliche, like "Oh, it came to me in a dream." <laughs> <laughs> I no. wish that I could say it was really heavily researched. Yeah. No, just a weird <laughs> dream thing that I dreamed. You've got to get your ideas somewhere there. Yeah, that's right. It's it's weird because I have this thing where I imagine, like, I wake up and I had this fantastic story that I knew I had to put down <laughs> and then I wake up and it's gone. Everyone's that's had this. That's why you need to get up in the middle of the night and I, write those little sentences I down. already have terrible sleep patterns. I don't <laughs> eat worse ones, but... <laughs> Try sleeping with a sausage dog and a rescue kitten and another person yeah, in bed. That like all competing for space. That sounds trouble. Yeah, that sounds like trouble. It's pretty um, so, so when you when you say you get your ideas from dreams, does that mean you wake up and write down the idea, or you start writing a story, or do you just let it stew for a while, or how do you keep track of this to get to use it? A bit of each of those things. Some of my ideas are just exactly blow by blow what happened in the dream Uh okay yep and then i try to work out what that meant for me and then sometimes it's just a rough theme or a feeling that i felt or Mm. a combination of those things Mm -hmm. it's interesting because i remember um writing uh putting together a piece of writing and i had this really like strange dream i don't know if i've talked about this before if i have then just ignore me for five minutes but the idea was that there was this image um of this figure falling from a window and in my in my mind there was like a it was like a white dress and it looked like a napkin and looked like a napkin just falling from a very tall building that was probably the most vivid image in that dream that i then used in a in a piece of writing describing it as a napkin um and i think that was like the closest i ever got to using something from a dream because most of my dreams usually end up with me forgetting most of it but that one stuck so it sounds really beautiful yeah it was like it was tragic because you know obviously she wouldn't survive but at the same time that was the moment where she was the most beautiful in that fall. That's so beautiful. So I was like, wow, that's great. I have to use that somewhere. That would be really nice on film. Yeah. Kind of American beauty, you know, yeah, the plastic yeah, bag yeah. scene. That's right. So that's lovely. tragic and beauty at the same time. But yeah, dreams, the dreams are like really, really good material if you can actually make sense of them. And <laughs> sometimes even the ones you can't make sense of uh, are very useful. I think it's really interesting, the ones that you can't make sense of, it's an interesting process to try to make yeah. sense. Unravel them, yeah. Yeah, unravel them and unpack them and figure it out. And then when you do figure it out, it's like this light bulb moment and yeah. a story is born. That's right. Well, that is uh, some surrealism for you. That <laughs> was not planned at all, but that was that was quite interesting. Talking about things that may be surrealistic is film, TV, and theater and what we've been watching or viewing for the last week. Luke, let's start with you. I remember <laughs> on the last podcast you had a bit of a list, but we um, were struggling for time. Yeah, so. That's a good question. I don't think I had a list. Didn't think you had a list? Nope, not really. I think we went ah, through it. You let me down. Yes. Well, I, I did sort of have another topic, but I can't remember what I was going to say about that now. Oh, dear. Um, 
this week I did watch uh, the Last Legion. I think it's called the Last Legion, mm-hmm. or yeah. Last Legion, one or the other. Yeah. Um, and I mean, other than the fact that it had a whole cast full of interesting characters who you've seen in thousands of other films. Yeah. And what intrigued me was that it was another take on the King Arthur sort of backstory. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about me, but every time I see something that's like, you know, legend or King Arthur or a combination of Romans and medieval, it just pulls me in. So I've got the got to see what story they've created this time. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't amazing. Like yeah. it, it it had I don't know. I mean, they're using a sort of a typical Hollywood setup for the story setup and like the the structure and everything. But I think it was also a good film. It was like a solid film. And sometimes you see a lot of like a lot of the Hollywood ones nowadays. Um, I had I had something better to say about this, and it's gone now. All the Hollywood yeah. ones now either just sort of rub your nose in the structure. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Or they don't have any intelligent way of approaching the structure. Yeah. But this one seemed to do fine. Yeah. It's like you know what was going, but you enjoy yourself on the ride. Yeah, you enjoy it on the way as well. And I suppose partially it's seeing Colin Firth in there. That was kind of funny. In medieval (laughs) slash imperial Rome. It was film. He's it, such a proper British actor. That it, it was so strange. I've I've seen the film as well a, a long time ago, and yeah, it was a very odd, jarring thing. It was like Colin, Colin, what what are you doing in this Roman getup? Um, and you know that um, we talked about this before, but the idea of the suspension of disbelief, where you know that he's an actor and he's mm-hmm. acted in other roles, mm-hmm. and to then see him in this really different role, it yeah. takes you like. A little bit didn't take me very long. I was I was like, oh, that's you were awesome. That's great. Yeah. But um, but I think one thing about the film that that pulls me, I think it always pulls me in with any story, is like this whole idea of um the last the, the story piece where this like the last people trying to hold on to their loyalty mm. and trying to stand up for something they know is correct and right, and it's part of what they've sworn to do. So being the last legion, they're they're trying to sub- uh, trying to um, protect their last emperor. Yeah, and and just one of those beautiful images again of just this last group yeah. fighting against anyone. No matter if they die, they don't care if they die. That's yeah. this is what they it's have the to Alamo. do. It's the Alamo. It's the Alamo idea where it's the idea that they know they're going to die, but they'll just they'll stand for it anyway. Kind of idea. Or the Spartan three hundred or That's something. Right. Yeah, all comes from that that idea and it's interesting to me because i think the most interesting thing about the last legion that they tried to do was <laughs> they were trying to do king arthur i'm i'm i've always been interested in king arthur the poems the everything about him is because it's just a such history that so many different cultures took and then wrote about him mm-hmm. i follow that religiously almost and with the last legion, it, I really wanted to see it. And there's been a lot of Roman takes on King Arthur as well. Mm-hmm. The King Arthur element, though, is very slight. It's very slight. So that's yeah. why I didn't mind, you know, the fact that it went off the deep end a little mm. uh, at some points. But it was slight, and it just sort of ah, there's a nice nod to Merlin or a nice nod yeah. to Arthur. What might be Arthur? And yeah, it, it felt, it felt. To me, anyway, like the soul of that movie was a little bit missing. Like I didn't know where mm. they wanted it to go. Yeah. Did Did you get that sense? A little bit. Because they were traveling, bit, yeah. and, and the basic plot is that they're traveling from uh, Rome, from Rome, yeah, to Britain. Um, and then you have this sense of 
well, what are they trying to achieve? And you've constantly got them asking each other, like, oh, you know, what are we doing here and stuff like that. But they never seem to come to an answer apart from, we must save the emperor. You know, we must save the emperor. And then the only way to do it is to go for this very long trek. Well, I think I think there, that was definitely in there. The idea, like, they're asking what's going on. And then they finally find, like, the final dregs of loyalty left in these people who were separated from the capital in, yeah. in Italy. And that's that's what I think was also a strong part of it. And it, it did add the soul. I think there was definitely some soul in there. Yeah. <laughs> there was some soul. Or some I, heart or whatever you want to call it. I guess I'm incredibly harsh on films but, um, that take a subject that I'm passionate about because I'm like, it must be done my way. And I think that's that's a lot of things of what critics try and do and they try and impress what they want to see rather than what the film is actually trying to achieve. So mm. either way, that film was like a very middling for me. Um, any others? Um, no, that'll, that'll, that'll do for now. <laughs> Katie, anything from you? Film, TV, theatre? Well, last night I went to an immersive theatre experience at the mm-hmm. Island Cat Theatre in Richmond called Bordello. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit, not yeah, I guess I was a bit sceptical going in because you can either get immersive theatre really, really right or really, really wrong. Yep. <laughs> you either create the world or you don't. Mm. And if you don't, it's just really awkward for everyone. Yeah. But if you do, it can be quite exceptional. And I really, I think that they nailed it. It's a really small theatre and it's over three, it's like a theatre bar and Mm. um, I think people live upstairs. So there were three levels Mm. and it was um, influenced by Punch Drunk's Sleep No More in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could just walk around, you're wearing masks um, and it was a a brothel scene. And it was really wonderful. Mm. I really felt part of the world. Yeah. I thought that they did a wonderful job. And it was really it was really interesting to it was a really weird sensation being in a room and sometimes depending on where the audience members were, there were only yep. twenty people in the audience. Sometimes you could be in the room with actors by yourself. And it was like you were experiencing what it would be like to be invisible. Yeah. Which made me feel really sad mm. and also really cheeky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really happy. Like, it, it was such a... Um, it's the fourth strange, wall and yeah. you are the fourth wall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I started out feeling, like I said, quite sad because they're looking right through me. Yeah. And I'm here. Why can't they see me? Yeah, yeah. Why aren't I involved in this? Yeah. But then it moved into that that feeling of, I guess, yeah, feeling quite cheeky, like I'm eavesdropping on a conversation yep. I shouldn't be hearing. <laughs> so Sleep No More is, isn't that the idea that the audience, for the most part, follows the actors around yeah. um, the set, quote-unquote, um, mm. and then observes them or whatever? Yeah, but it's quite loosely, it's very cleverly structured mm-hmm. in that, you're you're not really led around it's more you hear a sound in the distance and you go to it or you can do what i did and not really listen to those sounds but just explore where nobody else is yeah and then you happen upon um really interesting intimate scenes that Mm. the other people won't see because they're with the group the most powerful scene 
I saw in Sleep No More was um, a, a man. Um, I, I think I was exploring this little bathroom. Mm. It was really, really small, and I was the only one in there. And a man burst in, and he was covered in blood, and he turned the shower on, and he was having a panic attack, mm. and he ripped his clothes off, mm. and went into the shower and was washing off this blood and crying, crying, crying until he ended up on the floor and he cried himself out. And he turned the shower off and I was standing there just looking at this yeah. mess on the on the floor, soaking wet. And he looked up at me and pointed at his pants mm. and his shirt as though, like, can you pass me my pants? And I dressed him again yeah. and then sent him off on his way and it was the most stunning intimate moment yeah in that in that talking about the mechanics of that scene then since you were the only one there would that mean that that scene probably would go without anybody seeing it yeah absolutely wow well i think so i would assume so Mm. so then that would just continue because the world itself of the story continues and then people just explore that world yeah and you can walk in mid-scene it's a really so it's multi-room. It's different sections, and it's not just like one stage or anything. It's the whole. It's the whole, <coughs> it's a whole well, building, or yeah. In New York, there are six levels of this mm. big hotel, and the one last night was three levels and all these different rooms, and they did such an amazing job. So that's what I've seen lately. Fantastic! Wow. Mm-hmm. What were the other ones? What I've read? No, that's not a question. Film, TV, theatre. You can do one or you can do all. It's up to you. I think I'll leave it there. Mm. I'm in a film slump at the moment. Yeah, exactly the same. I, I think I haven't said a single thing about what I've been watching for four or five podcasts, which is probably a bad thing. I should probably say something. You keep pushing me yeah. to say something, Joel. Come on. I know. <laughs> I've been slacky. I know that. Mm. But... um. Yeah, it seems that like I definitely enjoy, for the most part, seeing films in cinema. Um, like to me, that's you know where I get the most enjoyment, and I haven't done that in a very long time. So probably the next thing I talk about will probably be something that I go and and actually watch. Yeah. Um, probably the Nova or something like that. But um, moving on, shall we? And I suppose this is still keeping with film. Because um, when we called Katie on and she'd be interested in being a guest, um, I, I was really interested in that process of filmmaking. Would you describe yourself as a writer primarily or a director primarily or just a creative um, producer, I suppose? I think of myself as a dabbler. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. I really enjoy... Well, I need to write. Mm. And I feel that I need to direct. Hmm. I suppose I'm both. Mm. You can, I don't know. You can be both. That, that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. For a long while, I was trying to decide what to focus on. Mm. And I, I couldn't decide. And I, now I've come to the conclusion that I don't need to decide yeah. and I won't decide because I'm just going to do both of them. You can be the George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But with The Widow, um, mm. you did do both. You were I the writer did. and the director. So that idea, um, how did it originate? You know, did it come as, oh, this is 
going to be a short story and then it became a film? Did you know it was always going to be a film? Like, what was that process for you? Um, this is one of the... This, it didn't come from a dream. Okay. Which is... I know that I said before that most of my <laughs> ideas come from well, dreams. Well, always the one. But this was an exception. Mm. I was away at the time visiting a friend in Paris mm-hmm. and I really liked this person. Yeah. And um, we were staying together in this tiny little apartment mm-hmm. and it was raining so heavily outside and we had a really strange relationship and I was going through a, a period of needing to write everything down so I had a notebook and pen with me wherever I went and it was probably really strange and annoying to those around me <laughs> but I would write down conversations as they were happening mm. and I don't know why I guess to make sense of what was going on later or I don't know um mm-hmm. and this relationship was coming to an end and neither of us wanted to or were able to articulate that so we had this conversation about the weather and in that conversation the relationship ended mm. whatever it was it wasn't quite romantic it wasn't quite friendly it wasn't mm. it was so mm-hmm. strange and so we talked about the rain and i remember he was standing at the window and the window was open and he had his back to me and i was at the table behind him nursing this cup of instant gross coffee mm. and i said do you think it will ever stop? And he said, what? I said, the rain. And he said, no. And I said, why? And he said, I just don't think it will. And it was done. Mm. So we were talking Mm. about the weather, but we really were not talking about the weather. So I wrote it down. I don't know, so I could read it over and over and (laughs) cry over and over again. (laughs) Being the masochist that I am (laughs) and then as I was reading back over it I realized how interesting it is that well just that that we can have these really simple conversations Mm -hmm. but they can be so dripping in subtext meaning yeah and that was the start of the widow this relationship ending and I don't really know how it evolved from there Mm mm-hmm it was a combination of all these different things that came together and formed this narrative. And I still don't really totally understand it. I do. I wrote a synopsis and all of the things you're yeah. supposed to do, but I really, yeah. I don't know. It's a really funny one. Mm-hmm. It makes me really sad when I think of it. So in many ways, it wasn't a project that was built to be a project. It was no. it was built because it, you felt it had to be. Yeah. Hmm. I suppose, it, I guess I was trying to make sense of it. I was transitioning from theatre into film mm-hmm. at the time. And I think that this was the first time that I was thinking filmically. Or th- yeah. Um, before it was, I'd have an idea and I could see it play out in my mind on a stage. And I knew how I would block it yeah Mm -hmm. but this time when i was thinking of that story i saw it i composed it in my mind as 
um, in a frame. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know. I just went from there. Yep. <laughs> I don't That's know right. How to answer? <laughs> Sorry. And the no, no. I think it's a fantastic answer because in many ways it's hard for somebody to pinpoint that idea of when they decided to do something or how mm. it all came together. Because mm. I think the point of me asking a lot of people like how what was the process of you actually writing it is probably one of the toughest questions that you can ask because sometimes there is no real starting point you know mm. it's just something that got birthed along the way yeah if it can be um it's usually not the story that you want to write that actually gets completed it's the story that you need to write yeah and then you don't know where that started yeah exactly and you don't know where it came from yeah <laughs> Yeah, you can yeah. write a couple of pages, and put it away, and then come back to it and think, "Where did that?" Yeah, it came from the depths of my subconscious. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know That's that right. I thought that. Yeah, um, mm. it just—I don't know where it comes from. And I and I think there's a certain amount of risk with that as well, because mm. it's not something that you plan out for the most part. Like something that is truly the yeah, um, truly subconscious, I guess, in many ways. You don't actually get to say, well, I think this might be a good story. You know, yeah. you just write the story <laughs> and then it becomes a thing yeah. for the most part. With The Widow, um, it's a short film. And what what went into the process of you deciding that, well, I, I would like to direct this um, as well as being the writer of the story? Like, mm. was it a sense of control? Was it a sense of a vision that you wanted to see play out? What was it exactly? Well... The story was really close to my heart, mm-hmm. so I suppose I was quite protective. I don't think it was in a controlling way. I think it's just because I saw it. I could play it from the start to the end in my head, mm-hmm. like I was at the cinema in my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it made sense for me to... Plot it out, yep. Yeah. But I'd only ever directed um, theatre before, so I wasn't terribly confident Mm -hmm. and then um the girl who produced it Katam Mandich she um she was so supportive of me and really made me feel that I could do it and so we worked on it together and she was really involved from the start um she was a I guess a creative producer First and foremost, so she helped me with the story and we went through the whole development together and getting the funding and she's still there, um, you know, sending it off to festivals and being mm-hmm. really involved and wonderful. So, mm. yeah, I felt really supported by her. With, and in, in, in many ways, because this podcast is aimed at emerging writers, mm. you know, breaking into the industry and trying to get funding and things like that. What was that process like? You know, as much as you could break it down. Yeah, well, like how do you start from scribbling on a on a notebook to <laughs> yeah, that's right. To actually, you know, staring being a at, a, at a man <laughs> in a window. Yeah, um, that's right. Well, with bad coffee. Yeah, uh, I'd written I'd written the script, and I think a lot of it is about finding your people, finding your tribe, I suppose, mm. and people who believe in you. Mm-hmm. So when I found Carter, she. She was more savvy than I was. I didn't really... I didn't know the film industry at all. Mm -hmm. And she did. Um, So she she knew about the Metro Screen, Screen New South Wales funding. And together we wrote the 
um, the proposal, filled in the application and sent it off. And then we didn't really think much of it because I always think that I'll get rejected from yeah. everything. <laughs> um, or that I'll never, yeah, I'd never be accepted. Mm. Um, but then we, we did. I don't know. So it was, I guess, I always like to try. Mm. I think it's really important to just apply. Just keep applying. Keep sending scripts to people and try to find, um, yeah, I guess that tribe who will support you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the only way. With the actual process, I guess, mm. and, and this would be like my question, my final question, then I'll give it to Luke and see what he thinks. Um, it's that idea that um, because media in many ways is moving on, um, it's not just cinema now, it's like online and all these sorts of things. Uh, what was the idea that you thought like, well, if this doesn't work, maybe I just release it online only or something like mm. that and, you know, limit the production values and stuff like that. Mm. Did that ever cross your mind? Not at the start because I really, like I said, I had no concept of um, the film industry or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the online alternatives. Yep. It really wasn't um, in my mind at all. Yeah. So we applied for this funding and then I just went back to writing what I had been writing, which was theater and fiction and whatever I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought about that. Yeah, I I really wanted to tell this story, but I wanted to wait until the right time. Yeah. I wasn't really in a hurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. To do it. Oh, makes sense. Um I thought a question um your your friend Carter you mentioned, is that yeah. just a personal friend or is it someone who you were able to get in contact f- with because you're looking to get your to work in film or um, we met through another filmmaker friend, um, Alexander Brunacci, who's a really brilliant um, director as well. Mm-hmm. So we started working together a little bit, and then he introduced me to Carter. So it was through a filmmaking friend, to, okay. and then we became yeah. friends. Mm. But it was the kind of friendship we really got along, but we both had a burning need to mm. make things. So yeah. Okay, so it was was a personal friend then. Um, yeah. Do you know of any um, any places or uh, organizations where an emerging writer could go to for assistance with applying for film? Yeah, well, oh, it's a shame. Metro Screen has been so wonderful for so many years for so many emerging filmmakers, but they are closing down at the end of the year, mm. which is really mm. unfortunate due to lack of funding. Funding, yeah. Yeah. So they were a great support and a great resource. But now I've met a lot of um, I've met a lot of great filmmakers over Twitter. Mm. I think that that's a really good okay. way to meet mm-hmm. people. Um, and then, gosh, where else? I guess just talking to whoever. Um <laughs> That's so vague, <laughs> but I found that um, I've met so many of my collaborators through just going to, um, I don't know, meeting them at bookshops or just striking up conversations with mm-hmm. 
people and then they'll say, oh, I'm a painter. And then you say, oh, well, should we work on, I don't know, I'll write captions for your paintings. And then that painter will know somebody. It's, we're yeah. all so, so connected, especially in Melbourne. It's so clicky yeah. that someone's going to know someone who's going to know someone. Yep. So <laughs> just, I, oh, and also, um, no, a better answer is places like, um, more online places like Star Now and, you know, those other networking kind of sites. Um, being an extra on somebody's film set or, or being a production assistant or just helping out, like crewing on other people's films, short mm-hmm. films, like student films or whatever, you meet so many people. And mm-hmm. then if you've helped them, then maybe they can help you with something. That's a really good way to meet people. Mm-hmm. And then just contacting okay. people like, um, you know, VCA and RMIT and Melbourne Polytechnic, they'd all have um, notice boards. Of, like, we need a runner for this, so we need this or that. And just being really helpful to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. You'll meet. So for the stay-at-home, the stay-at-home writer needs to get on Twitter really quickly. And <laughs> well, I don't know. I would the yeah. outgoing person goes to book short bookstores and RMIT and yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that I don't know. A lot of people complain about Twitter, but I've had some really lovely experiences and met some really mm. great people on Twitter. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Twitter, Twitter is an interesting thing because it can be used uh, to be quite friendly and and harmless in many yeah. ways. And it can obviously, just like every other resource on the planet, can be used for the exact opposite. Um, but I think as, as long as you use a medium for what it was intended, then I think you're on the right track. Yeah. And another mm. thing is just don't, don't be mean. <laughs> just be, be a nice person and be kind because, like I said before, it is really clicky and it is really small. The theatre community, the lit community, the film community, all these little communities... Mm. And word spreads <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. Um, so if you're known as a nice person and nice to work with, people will want to work with you. Yeah. So just don't don't do mean not, things. Well, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's it's so true. Yeah. Mm. You can be is what's the term blacklisted? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> people, if they hear that you're hard to work with, then that gets around. Yeah. So just be nice. That'll get you far. Yeah, it definitely will. It's also that idea that with community, and I, um, we were talking about Sandy Sega, the uh, mm. side of the podcast, um, that when we got her on to talk about community, it, and I always bring this up, it's always an idea that community for a lot of people um, might feel threatening, yeah. might feel very hard to break through because it's the idea that you as an individual has to become part of a community that maybe you don't want to be part of, you know? Absolutely. But in terms of getting your work out, you might just have to. So you've got this tension where you're like, well, I I guess I have to mingle, you know? And for a lot of introverted writers, you know, that's a a struggle, I guess. I was talking about that very thing with someone today. It's, It's a pickle. Yeah. A lot of writers are really introverted and you don't have to, like, always be yourself if you're an introvert and you really don't want to go out to wherever and crew on other people's films and that's okay. There are other ways. 
but it is really I find that it's really helpful to have a community and that doesn't it doesn't have to be a big full-on community your community can be a couple of people it can I don't know yeah it can be a book club it can be anything I think it's just really nice to feel supported and not alone Mm -hmm. because no one likes to feel alone no (laughs) and it's hard to do this alone especially filmmaking it's so collaborative yeah that's right so Mm. many people and if you try to do it all yourself then that's that's a bit silly yeah it's not it's not going to be a well-rounded actors won't really care if you're trying to do it by yourself (laughs) (laughs) you just need a selfie stick and off you go and off you go i mean documentary i think there's some really good films out there made on selfie sticks yeah that's that's true um but it's really wonderful to collaborate with people Mm. Mm. With um, with your writing on your prose, um, mm. do you think that's we we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, and also um, the idea that various um, well different pursuits, so theater, filmmaking, um, writing, poetry, whatever, music, they all influence one another. Another, do you think when you go back to prose, say if you do, um, do you think that's changed a lot? because of this process of making movies? Do I think my prose has changed? Mm. Yes. I think so. Is that mostly in dialogue or what what, what would you say is the biggest change? Hmm, that's a good question. I never really put much dialogue in anything I do Mm. in films or prose. Okay. Goodness, I think it has changed, but I don't know how. Mm. I don't write much prose anymore. I think that I'm I'm writing more poetry now, mm-hmm. and that's how I've been starting my film scripts lately over the past through poetry two okay. years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I write. I'll have the idea, and then I'll write it out as a poem or a prose poem. Mm-hmm. And then from from there, I'll adapt that prose poem into a into a script. Yeah. Because I f- well, poetry is so distilled and image based, mm-hmm. and I think that it lends itself really nicely to film. To the mm-hmm. film, yeah. Now that you've had a taste of filmmaking, mm-hmm. <laughs> what about adaptations? Have you ever considered branching more out into you know film in general? That idea of adapting perhaps other poems, um, yeah, I have stories. It's such an art, though. Mm. It's so I've tried. I tried adapting one of um, Josephine Rowe's uh, stories. I think it was Brisbane, and it was really difficult mm. to capture mm. the essence of their story. In the script. Yep. I don't think I'm ready. Mm. I don't think that I'm ready to adapt yet. I think that a lot of people assume that it's very easy, that they just take what's on the on that page and put it onto the other page, but yeah. in a different... Like, it'll look different on the, on the, on the page, but yeah. It's, it's got to be exterior visual. It's got to be a visual. It's... Yeah. And it's not just... It's not blow by blow. Yeah. Mm. It's not this character has this interaction with the other character... So therefore, 
that will happen on screen. It's, yeah, it's... I think it's incredibly difficult because getting your own ideas and trying to understand your own ideas is a chore in Mm. of itself. And then trying to understand somebody else's process. Absolutely. And then trying to adapt that. It was interesting because when I was looking at at a book that I really enjoyed and trying to just take a particular scene and then transition it to a script, it was interesting because... Because I was so close to the material, I thought I knew exactly, you know, everything about mm. it. Yeah. But because there's so much more going on than, you know, if that writer was putting that on screen, I think he would have written that a completely different way. Yeah, and there's always that pressure. What would they have done? Yeah. They don't want to let yeah. the author down. <laughs> yeah. I think that Something I, I need to... written visually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely distinctions between the mediums in some aspects as well. Yeah, I think that I might leave that one for a while. Yeah. (laughs) I'd like to. I'd like to try it at some point, but I don't think it will be for a a few more years. What about like short stories then? Because I know longer longer works are very... Or or is this um, the one that you tried? Is that a short story? Yeah, that's a short story. I feel that short stories and novellas and poems are better, in my opinion, to adapt. Mm Mm-hmm to a feature because they act as that core yep. central yeah. thing. And then you can build thing, around that. And then you can, yeah, and you can build. But if it's an epic novel <laughs> and you're trying to yeah. <laughs> adapt that into a feature, it's very difficult. you just, yeah, it becomes this sprint. Like yeah. you have to put everything, everything in. in and it, uh, you probably skim over things. But if you're adapting a shorter work, you can really get into it and explore every little nuance. Mm. Yep, that's right. Mm. Yeah, and you know we were talking about that last week about the adaptations of Lord of the Rings and how people were very unsatisfied with the idea. And I think a lot of people would have just been happy with the with the books and never seen the adaptations because it's that idea of seeing your dreams like on screen and then isn't it weird? Not fulfilling what you wanted i'm sure that a lot of people had that experience with harry potter as well yeah. because it's so image provoking yeah and right. dreamlike that everybody's harry potter when they when they read harry potter everybody's mm-hmm. imagination version yeah. of that is so different. different everybody's hogwarts is so different yep. yeah the architecture of those buildings what the characters look like and now through the film we've got one yeah <laughs> which is okay but i'm sure that a lot of people were protective of their own personal yeah. imagination of Harry Potter. And I think in that way, um, that literature is lends more imagination, I suppose, in one way. Um, but film lends a dimension that, I suppose, writing cannot. Because you have mm. that stimulation visually. Yeah. That is just very, very powerful. Yes. But... Um, coming to the end of the podcast, Aww. I'd like to thank you very much for coming, Katie. It's been a great discussion. Thank mm. you for having me. And we'd love to have you on in the future. That would be lovely. I felt so underqualified to be talking about <laughs> these oh, things. With I feel underqualified asking any writer any questions. I just feel so underqualified trust me. in just daily life. It's just, just walking yeah, that's around. Right. Exactly the same. It's just pretending. Buying coffee. <laughs> I mean, you've got an award-winning film out there. You're fine. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> We're the pretenders, yeah. Um, but Katie, where can people find you if they're looking for your work online? Um, they can find it slash me in a few places. Twitter is at Katie Found. Um, my website is katiefound.com. They can also find my poetry 
um, project at, uh, what is it, at underscore line break on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Actually, very mm. quickly, yeah. I want to talk about this because okay. I, I've co- completely skipped over this. Talk to me about line break. Well, it came to me in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I got to say that. Um, so I, I dreamt that a friend called me and read me a poem, and that's the purpose of their, that was the purpose of their phone call. Mm. So they read me the poem and then hung up. And I woke up and I thought, oh, that sucks that that doesn't happen, happen in, in real, real life. life. <laughs> so I made it happen. Mm. So it's a free service. You sign up and um, you put your phone number down and your name and what you feel you need from a poem at that time or just vaguely what's going on in your life. And someone will call you once a week and read you a poem. And mm. you don't need to talk about it afterwards. They just say hello and they read the poem that relates to that person's life. And then they say, have a nice day and hang up. Fantastic. It's just a way to wow. inject a little bit of poetry into people's That's a lot weeks. of love in that project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is well, I, I feel that poetry is really, well, it's a very important part of my life. Mm. And I wanted to share that. And I also think that it's a shame that a lot of people think that poetry is inaccessible or they can't really, uh, some people I've talked to struggle to find an entry point. Yep. Or they find it intimidating. Yep. But it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Mm. So it was that a Twitter address you gave us for line break, was it? At underscore line break? Yeah. Yep. Line break spelled L-I-N-E-B-R-E-A-K? Yes. Fantastic. And the mechanics of that, say I wanted to send a poem for somebody's birthday. Yeah. How would that work? You would email me Mm -hmm. and you can do one-offs. We haven't had anybody do... That's actually a really good idea. I'm going to add that as a function <laughs> on the on the website. But you can sign them up or you can say, it's my friend's birthday. Can you call and read them a poem? That's lovely. Fantastic. Oh, I would love a birthday poem. All right. Read to me. Well, I'll <laughs> definitely be getting on that pretty soon. Oh, good. <laughs> the best birthday present ever for yeah. some people. Um, well, that's where you can find Katie. Luke. What's coming up? What have you got? And where can people find you? What's coming up? Well, that's a good question. Um, um, nothing's coming up at the moment, actually. It's mm-hmm. a bit a bit slow at the moment. But uh, you can find me at the Soul Shard on Twitter. Or, uh, I've got to remember my, my website now. The Soul Shard uh, Chronicles. The Soul Chronicles. Chronicles. There, there you right. go. <laughs> I missed out the... Um, yeah, so you're in the wilderness meditating. And you will come meditating back to in us the wilderness, and, yep. and bring us something I'll fantastic. be back. You'll be back. That's right. Um, you can find The Morning Bell at themorningbell.net on their website. Um, on Twitter, though they don't regularly check their Twitter, so follow them on Facebook instead um, and all the other social medias. Just look up The Morning Bell and you'll be fine. Uh, as for myself, you can find me at thepenofjoel.com or at thepenofjoel on Twitter where, as usual, I just talk about the podcast and pretty much that's about it. But if you want that, you can find me there. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Look forward to having you again listen to our next podcast in two weeks' time. We'll see you there. Thank you very much.